Disrupting the flow of money into coal, gas and oil is critical to limiting the impacts of climate change. Your bank could be investing billions of dollars into the fossil fuel industry. Bank Australia is an ethical bank that doesn't fund harmful industries. Join us and over 180,000 Australians who have made the switch. Search Bank Australia Solutions. My name is Kate Ashmore and I'm a proud Jar Jar Wurrung person. Today's episode of The Cool Down was recorded on the Wurundjeri lands of the Kulin Nation and the Gadigal lands of the Aura Nation. Together with Footy for Climate, we'd like to acknowledge the traditional owners of country throughout Australia. Footy comes from Mangrook, a First Nations game that has been played on these lands, which have been protected and nurtured by Australia's first people for tens of thousands of years. We pay our respects to elders past, present and emerging for their continued connection to the land, water and culture, and look to their guidance and knowledge as we work towards a more sustainable future. We acknowledge the sovereignty was never ceded. This was, and always will be, Aboriginal land. Welcome back to another episode of The Cooldown by Footy for Climate. I'm your host, co-founder of Footy for Climate and occasional St Kilda player, Tom Campbell. We're recording today on Wurundjeri land and Ngunnawal land. The Cooldown is supported by Bank Australia. In this episode, we're talking about leadership in sport and climate with none other than independent senator for the ACT, former Wallabies captain, David Pocock. Dave was often a lone voice on climate issues during his playing career and also used his platform to speak out on other issues, including homophobia and campaigning for marriage equality. Our show, The Cooldown, borrows its name from an open letter campaign that Dave started ahead of COP26. I talked to Dave about his life growing up on and off the rugby field, why climate change is an issue that he cares so deeply about, his transition from sporting leader to a political figure, and how sport is connected to social and political change. Dave has been a trailblazer in sport and the climate conversation for over a decade. Footy for Climate and the Cooldown wouldn't be possible if not for the foundations that he has laid. I hope you enjoy the chat. Welcome to The Cooldown. The Cooldown is brought to you by Bank Australia. David Pocock, welcome to The Cooldown. Hey, Tom. Good to be here. Uh, it feels really weird, Dave, actually welcoming you to The Cooldown because originally The Cooldown was an open letter campaign that you launched. Uh, but we'll get to that a bit later. Um, we sort of always do, um, start every episode of The Cooldown really getting into the things that we don't know about our, our star players and our experts. And you really are playing the role of both today. Um, you know, for for you know our AFL players, we talk about the footy record. I'm not sure what the equivalent is in rugby, but um, you know you've got a pretty comprehensive bio, and I don't really want to read that out because I think you know for one thing we'll be here for way too long. Um, but we know that you're a star in the rugby pitch, and now you're an independent senator in the ACT. Um, but your early life and and your rugby it, it started. Um, in Zimbabwe and then you immigrated to Australia what was early life like for you Dave? Yep moved moved to Australia as a 14 year old so you know childhood in Zimbabwe we were we were farming right in the middle of the the country and yeah I mean I loved it sort of loved playing rugby loved life on the farm it gave me a real appreciation for farmers and people who work the land, but also an appreciation for for nature and our role as custodians of actually looking after land. And then late 90s, early 2000s, the Zimbabwe government embarked on a big land reform program where 
essentially white farmers and any black farmers that didn't agree with the government were vilified, kicked off farms. Uh, my family lost their farm in that, and and yeah, we were lucky enough to be able to move to Australia because my mum was a mum was a qualified teacher, so we came in under the skilled sort of migration visa and life changed it's it was such a different um i guess way of life here different culture schooling was very different but really for me having grown up playing rugby and loving my sport sport was somewhere where i felt like i wasn't the the kid with the funny accent who didn't feel like they fitted in i was just part of the team and I, i guess really used sport as a way to make friends uh, to find a sense of community and belonging. And playing rugby was always something that I'd loved and, and wanted to do at the highest level. And so as soon as we moved to Australia, you know, I wanted to play for the for the Wallabies and I guess was fortunate enough to have the opportunities to go on and, and do that and, and live out, a, I guess, a, a, a dream to, to actually play rugby at the highest level. Some of our other guests that have been on the cool down, I actually think back to our conversation with Nicola Barr and, you know, she spent, you know, her childhood growing up in a whole bunch of different countries and similar to you, she's really talked about a connection to nature and sport as being a way to connect to these new places. Um, what was your local rugby club when you first arrived at in Australia and, and you know, what did that club mean to you? Mm-hmm. When, when I first arrived, I started playing at East Rugby Club um, because I think from memory their season was before the school rugby season and launched myself into there met a whole bunch of you know, kids that I'd, I'd never met before and ended up meeting you know, as a 15 year old someone who I'd go on to play a, a lot of rugby alongside and against in, in Quade Cooper and you know someone who I still regard as a as a good mate and after that sort of initial club rugby, it was really school rugby that was the the focus, and was fortunate enough to go to a uh, yeah, a school that excelled at at rugby, and and that really opened the the door, and and I had opportunities to you know play for Queensland Schoolboys, and then um, get a contract out of school to move over to to the Western Force in Perth, which was a a huge opportunity, I guess, daunting as a seventeen year old to to leave home, move across the country but really just felt like such an amazing opportunity and you know, had a family that was really supportive in me sort of chasing my dream and, and heading over there. Yeah, you mentioned your family being really supportive. Uh, I know in the Australian Story um, series that that focuses on your career, um, there is a really interesting story about going on a, a holiday through the Wit Sundays and needing to, to pack the weights. Um, can you talk to us about just growing up and really having that clear focus on wanting to be the best athlete you can be and sort of the sacrifices your family might have made to support your um, your rugby journey? Yeah, we, we joke about it now. But uh, yeah, I probably wasn't um, the best brother or <laughs> at, at times. Um, my bro- my, I've got two younger brothers. They both give me um, a bit of stick about just how focused I was and, and how, you know, rugby and I guess sport generally was the thing that came first I guess it was something that I enjoyed and and that I was good at but I think layered onto that everything that happens in Zimbabwe when you move to a new country we've all got different ways of coping with stress and I think for me my you know training sport my diet was something that whilst a whole bunch of other things felt 
out of control. These were things that I could really control. And so I did that. And, you know, at times it was, it wasn't healthy. I think it was sort of mm. beyond what you'd encourage in young people when it comes to dedication and, and chasing a goal. Looking back, I guess it's, you know, it's one of those things you wouldn't, you wouldn't change it, but I'm really grateful that not too long into my career, I had enough sort of good mates around me to be able to point out how a lot of the things I was doing were going to be detrimental in the, in the long term. And you've, you've got to be a lot smarter with your, with your training at, at a certain point. You definitely did become a lot smarter with your training throughout your career, but uh, I think from another sport and looking at, at you uh, in the in the rugby realm, uh, some of the training that you do and um, and has been sort of put out there on social media and the rest is pretty impressive. Uh, even since you've finished your rugby career, you know you're still training pretty hard, and I've seen the Granimals as this crew that you've uh, you've connected with. I think it was happening sort of uh, in and around that COVID period. Can you talk? to us about the Granimals and, and you know, the community that you've built there. Yeah, the, the Granimals came out of the COVID lockdowns where all the gyms were closed and you could only exercise outside and a few mates started sending around texts and said, well, let's meet down at the river on Friday mornings and just see how we go, throw some rocks around, <laughs> crawl, uh, you know, whatever. It's, it's, it's a really pretty random 45 minutes of exercise and it's turned into this amazing little community where every Friday rain, hail or, or shine, uh, people turn up and 45 minutes of exercise, have a, have a good chat afterwards. No one really knows what Granimals means, but it sort of fits and we've kind of embraced that embraced that name yeah it's it's really awesome and I've, I've loved seeing the content on social media um off field um you know definitely the the skills and and discipline that you developed through your rugby career i think you transferred to to your um your academic pursuits you have a master's in sustainable agri- agriculture and that definitely aligns with a lot of that um that you know growing up in Zimbabwe and, and the farming um, you know why did you sort of go down that pathway with the education and and why did that really help and support your playing career yeah I think like a lot of young people leaving school wasn't too sure what I wanted to study had an idea that it was important to do some study you know, you look at I think the average professional rugby career is like two and a half years there's a whole bunch of people who just don't get to play for that long having said that I think I enrolled in three or four different degrees and just kept deferring them and focusing on rugby until finally deciding that actually ag was something that I was interested in and and just felt um, it was enjoyable to study it it didn't feel like a chore and, and really enjoyed having that focus outside of sport pretty hard to fit in I mean I found doing one subject semester whilst playing professional rugby a lot harder than you know the year after I finished playing rugby finishing up my masters and doing you know four subjects a a semester it's but I'm glad I did it and I guess the whole way through my career was having moved from Zimbabwe was really aware of just how privileged I was to do what I was doing both in terms of being paid to play rugby 
and recognizing that I wanted to give back to society in some way. And for me, that meant talking about other issues that I thought were important and I thought were important for young people to be hearing about and, and trying to further those uh, conversations. But also in terms of leaving Zimbabwe, arrived here with yeah, some sort of sense of, of guilt that my, our family was able to leave. So many of my friends, most of my friends weren't able. And so over the years, I've really loved being involved back there in things like sustainable ag and conservation, some community development work, and really feel like it gave me a bit of a grounding while I was playing rugby. It can it can become a bit of a a bubble at times, but that certainly you know brought me back down to to reality when you're when you're seeing what so many people around the world are, are facing on a day to day basis. You've definitely given back a lot to the communities that you've been a part of. You've started a lot of uh, different uh, businesses and not for profits. Um, I think you started Rangelands Restorations, which is in um, Zimbabwe. What's the work that Rangelands Restoration is is working on? (laughs) Rangelands Regeneration is working at the intersection of regenerative agriculture, conservation and community development. So we're working with local communities and ensuring that they are benefiting from the natural resources around them. So many of these communities in really poor parts of places like Zimbabwe live alongside elephant and leopard and hyena and the elephant eat their crops and the hyena and and leopard eat their livestock but they don't get a huge benefit from living alongside them and so really looking at ways to partner with them and to ensure that they are benefiting. So as part of that we're developing Zimbabwe's newest conservation area and then working with the surrounding communities on access to market for their livestock so they're getting better prices and ultimately working on the way that livestock are managed to ensure that you know communities are able to to sell and access markets and turn over their their stock and, and, and it is paying for you know health and school fees and 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 all of these other things at the end of your rugby career you were really jumping straight into these um these not-for-profits and other work and in 2021 you had the opportunity to attend the cop 26 summit um, upon returning home you know that was around the time that you announced your um your candidacy to run for the, the Senate in the ACT. But in and around that too, you you launched the cool down, the, the very first version of what's now become this podcast. And 470 athletes from 40 sports signed that. Uh, what was the message that you were trying to send with the cool down? And, and how did you bring so many athletes together? The idea behind the cool down was really to allow athletes to sign on to a big sort of joint letter saying to the Australian government this is something that we're concerned about this is something that affects us in our families and communities but also in our sport and something that we want to see politicians step up and ensure that we're taking the kind of actions that that look after look after all these you know all the people and places we love initially we thought well yeah maybe if we can get 50 athletes that would be a a good result I think it just grew and grew I think that yeah, as, as you'd know, it's it's pretty challenging at times as a as an athlete to talk about things outside of 
your sport because you open yourself up to all sorts of criticism. Even when you're playing well, people are saying, well, just focus on, focus on footy, mate. But if you have a bad game, you can, you can be sure that people will use that to say, well, if you weren't so focused on you know, X, Y, Z, maybe you'd be able to do your actual job. So was very aware of that and, and, and thought having a, a group leader actually allows people to, to get involved. And, and clearly, athletes care. You know, athletes are, are, are part of communities. They can see the effect of climate change around us. And they want, you know, what most people want for, for our futures, a, a safe place for them and their families to be able to thrive. And I think as people who benefit so much from sport, we want other, well, I certainly want other young people to be able to have that, that opportunity and learn all those life skills and have those experience that I experiences that I experience. Uh, Dave, you were definitely a trailblazer through your career in this space and and really being brave to speak out as one of the very few voices uh, in the sport and, and climate intersection. Uh, and I totally agree with you that the ability to have maybe safety in numbers and, and understand that other athletes are also sharing their voice and platform. You know, we know at, at Footy for Climate, we went around to, um, you know, more than 600 AFL men's and women's players and surveyed the players to find that 92% are concerned about climate change. So this is a massive issue for our playing groups and it isn't um, something that we can completely separate our off-field identities from our, our on-field personas as well so you know i think the cool down was so powerful and that's why we wanted to extend it um with this podcast and have conversations with with athletes and experts about how we can all be a part of the solutions um throughout your career uh, you were really focused on uh, a couple of key issues you talked about climate action and you talked about uh, marriage equality and, and tackling homophobia mostly why were these the the key issues for you um to use your platform uh, during your playing career for me, it, on climate and environment, you know, something that I was concerned about growing up with a real love for, for nature and, and a real fascination with the world around us and seeing what we are doing to it and, and knowing that we can actually change that. This is about, uh, I guess, our, the way we think about our place in the world, being, being part of nature rather than being sort of above it and being able to do whatever we want to it for our our gain. So it's I guess my concern there was to to try and talk about this. It was something that really mattered to me and I thought was important for young people to hear about and potentially hear about from someone different. I knew what it was like to be that young rugby player that absolutely idolised the players I, I saw on TV and I think it's it's yeah the defining issue of our times the the climate and biodiversity crises when it, it came to marriage equality and homophobia that was very much this is something that is an issue in my sport we know that the contact football codes have had and and still have an issue when it comes to sexism and, and, and homophobia. We, you, know, you can't get around that, that, that issue. And, and I guess it was just wanting to try and be part of changing that. I, 
as someone who felt like sport was a place where I could be who I was, that I fully was accepted and belonged, that should be the experience for anyone who wants to engage in in community or professional sport. And we've seen huge changes, I think. A lot of uh, players, teams, codes have put a lot of work into this. We've still got a long way to go, yes, but it is great. It's been great to see the changes that we've seen in, in attitudes and, and wanting to create more inclusive environments. So, yeah, it was very much... This is a really big issue that I think we should all be talking about. And then this is something in, in my sport that I, I don't think it should fall to gay rugby players to be the ones who say, oh, you know, <laughs> I feel uncomfortable. We should change things. It's, it's on all of us to create an environment where people can simply be who they are. And I think we all gain, we all gain from that when people can, can bring their full selves and, and you know, be, be part of a team. Throughout this podcast, we've heard countless times that we need to protect what we have now before it's lost. Disrupting the flow of money into coal, gas and oil is critical to limiting the impacts of climate change. Your bank could be investing billions of dollars into the fossil fuel industry, but we as individuals have a choice. And together we can create big change with just one action by putting our money where it matters. Bank Australia is an ethical bank that doesn't fund harmful industries. Join us and over 180,000 Australians who've made the switch. Search Bank Australia Solutions. I was really fortunate to, uh, through a, an ambassadorship I have with an organisation called Stand Up Events, to participate in some research with Monash University that was all about um, tackling homophobia and particularly homophobic language and behaviour in grassroots um, junior sport, um, particularly with between 16 and, and 19 years old. Uh, and I was trained to um, go into these clubs and talk about the impacts that um, language and behaviour do have on, um, you know, gay and, and gender diverse players in our um, in our sporting clubs and really through that training um, you know for one I, I was sort of uh, confronted with the statistics about um, self-harm and uh, and other issues like that in that community um, but was really sort of encouraged to think about the reasons why it's important to me to, to share that message and it just comes down to wanting people to enjoy uh, the opportunities to, to participate in sport in the same way that I have and most of my memories growing up um, are, you know my fondest memories growing up are about being around my footy club and and mm. you know being able to be who I am and mm. and enjoy myself with my mates mm. so I totally mm. agree with you David is just about creating a sporting community mm. that's um, safe uh, for everyone yeah. And I think uh, a big part of it is about education. Like I, I think you, growing up in a culture that does use homophobic slurs, you just kind of think, oh, this is, this is normal. But it's only when you, know, you, you have conversations that um, get you questioning, like, oh, why do we use that language? <laughs> Um, what is what is the outcome of that? I think it really changes, you know. In my experience, it really changes people's minds, and they realise, well, I'm not I'm not gaining anything by using that language. Like, why why use it? I I can. That's something I'm happy to let go of, and mm. try and create a space where all, all of my teammates um, feel 
comfortable and, and, and like they can be themselves. Throughout your career, you didn't just speak out and use your, your, your platform um, in the media, but you actually took some steps um, like in, in Narrabri where you, um, you locked yourself to an excavator on a coal mine. Um, so, you know, you were prepared to go maybe a little bit further than some others uh, and use nonviolent direct action. You were supported in that with your wife, Emma. Um, could you talk to me about that experience at Narrabri and the role that, that Emma's also helped play in, in shaping um, the, the, some of the actions that you've, you've taken? Yeah, <laughs> I mean, talk, talking about things is one thing. You know that you're going to get some some blowback, some criticism, and you know, getting involved at Narrabri really, for me, it got it got to the point where you know you you talk about something, you sign the petition, you turn up to the to the rally. We we're not we weren't seeing we're not seeing the changes that we need. This Malls Creek coal mine is in the middle of a state forest that is at a critically endangered ecosystem in one of our best farming areas in the country. It, it's total madness that we are opening coal mines in these sorts of areas. And I guess visiting and talking to one of the local farmers, Rick Laird, you know, uh, involved in the local rural fire service salt of the earth farmer his family had been there for for generations he'd never been involved in anything like this but he was also saying like hang on this is this is one my livelihood my kids are going to have to cop the consequences of this and we're all going to pay if we continue to expand the fossil fossil fuel industry in australia and so it really got to the point where personally i felt like this was something that i wanted to do that I that I needed to do and it's it was it was a really honestly a tough decision because uh, in a team sport you you hate to do anything that puts your teammates out um so really trying to weigh that with the the personal sort of pull that I was feeling to stay true to my values and yeah sort of went went ahead with it and and there was a a decent fallout and and yeah I, I, a bunch of my teammates didn't agree with with what I didn't others were supportive but yeah at the end of the day it was something that I felt like I I, I wanted to do felt like I, I needed to do and, and was willing to cop the 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 consequences of that for better or worse in sport often a lot is forgiven when you get out there and perform um, could you talk to me about turning up to training the next day and did you train well? <laughs> so, yeah, we got sort of released from lockup and then um, M drove through the night to, to get us back to Canberra till, you know, at, I don't know, like 6.30 or whatever it was, dashed into the house, grabbed my my training gear and, and um, footy boots and headed to training and... Yeah, I guess you don't want to you don't want to let the team down. So I think I trained pretty I trained pretty well <laughs> well that day. Um but you know, quite bizarre going from the top of a however many story up super digger um sitting with a with a farmer for most of the day to turning up to footy training the next day. Yeah, I've uh, I have heard a couple of anecdotes that that maybe you you 
put on one of the best training performances anyone had ever seen. <laughs> but I think, um, yeah, it, it just does go to show that um, while you were prepared to use your platform, you, you also did um, back it up on field. Um, you know, during your rugby clear, we, we've, we've spoken about, you know, you were re- really clear on a couple of key issues, but, you know, now you're a senator and, and there are a lot of issues that come your way for discussion and, and for really important decision-making. And, and it's been really clear this year that you have a really strong position on, on lots of things, um, not just on, um, you know, uh, climate action and, um, you know, tackling homophobia i think of the ir the ir reform legislation um you know safeguards mechanism um you know how is it now do you you feel it's almost more freeing to be able to um express your views on lots more issues or do you find it a real challenge to have to stay across so many things that that are coming your way all the time it it is it is a challenge staying staying across things i guess the, one of the things I've loved is is learning more about all these different areas, being able to pick up the phone and, and basically speak to any expert, try and get across it, then go out and consult with people in the community here, here in the ACT and, and formulate a view on, on all these various things that come through. I'm, I'm there to represent people in the ACT. My um, power simply comes from people having put their trust in me and I'm very aware of that and wanting to to honor that uh, you know after after I finished playing um, after I retired from rugby I used to joke a lot with with um, with Emma that I'd spent thousands of hours working on all these skills that were totally useless now <laughs> like totally redundant I was never going to use them again I was never going to be you know trying to get in the, into the ruck and, and steal the ball but then getting into politics and, and during the election campaign, started to realize just how much sport actually teaches you. All these all these skills that you pick up, being able to be part of a team, taking on board feedback, wanting to continually uh, get better, have a work ethic, really sort of wanting to step up and perform under pressure and, and then learn from that and say, okay, well, that was pretty good but i could do this a bit better and 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 i'll i'll be better the next time yeah i I think sport does teach you so many of those skills that are transferable into into the rest of into the rest of life so that that has been a lot of fun trying to continue that sort of mindset of wanting to continually improve and and get better in rugby in professional sport you know we're part of teams and there's a whole bunch of people not just teammates but um you know i think of you know the physios and the and the coaches and and the you know the property staff and you know there's a whole bunch of people coming together to to get everyone on field to perform what does your team look like and and how many people does it take to to you know make sure that you're representing the ACT in the best way that you can it's a small team that's pretty flat out uh really love love working with them it's a mix of you know people with more experience in 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 politics and then you know a, a, a bunch of people who politics isn't their their background but they're they're passionate and wanting to to learn and i guess love love canberra love the act and, and want want to be part of representing them so yeah there's no um <laughs> It's it's one of those things as an independent, you're you're in there to listen, to learn, 
and then ultimately to vote on behalf of people. And uh, that's something that I am really conscious of is that I'm voting on behalf of people of the ACT, many of whom did not vote for me. So I, I think it's important for me to be consulting widely and hearing the, the range of different views and then formulating a position. And, and you know, my sense from during the election campaign where I you know, spoke to, I don't know, hundreds, to probably thousands of people is that people generally want politicians to, to get on with things and find a way forward. And so much of the polarized debate that we see, it's, it's sort of, it's like social media playing out in front of us where you've got these people on the extremes slinging mud at each other. And most, pe- most other people just saying like, just <laughs> get on with it. Get on with it. Find a way forward, and so in a lot of things, that's what we've we've been we've been trying to do. We've mentioned before about sport and and you know politics or social change, and you know often athletes getting told to you know just focus on kicking the footy, mate. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, in in your mind, you know, can you separate you know sport and you know politics or social change and social issues? It's it's a convenient line that sports and politics don't mix and we often hear it when athletes are saying things that are uncomfortable for politicians or people want to put put athletes back in their place but you know sport is part of society and and sport actually has a long history of being part of social change i think so many of these issues that we see playing out in sport start in in wider society and then you have athletes who are part of communities who are concerned about something and they're able to bring that thing to a broader audience you know wrongly or rightly a lot of athletes have a platform to be able to do that and you know my very first clear memories of sport on tv was the 1995 rugby world cup i was a huge Springbok supporter they obviously won the tournament and South Africa was a new democratic country coming out of apartheid that was really on the edge and Nelson Mandela used that tournament as a way to unite the country he knew the power of sport Uh, he knew the power of symbolism when he turned up to the final wearing a spring back, spring box jersey and, 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 and a cap. He knew what that could do for the, for the country. And, you know, we've seen sport be part of a whole bunch of these different conversations. Um, so I think it's a little bit disingenuous to say sports and politics don't mix. Uh, we often see politicians trying to leverage sport for their image <laughs> um, and so yeah i think it's it's right that athletes are, are able to actually be part of these important conversations that we're having in society yeah and it's not really about partisan pol- politics at all it is about uniting people and, and people coming together i think of you know, you know the mcg on on any given game day and you've got people from you know really divorced div- diverse walks of life from um you know uh, you know leaders of industry to to people that are um 
that are you know really blue collar and you know, we're uniting around this you know shared love of the game so you know i think um you know for us around you know really big important social issues i think it's really important as athletes and and as a game that we that we use our platform to mm-hmm. to talk about all mm-hmm. of that sort of stuff and i really i think really that's what the cooldown 1.0 um the campaign that you led was all about um you know that was talking about a net zero target ahead of um you know the cop 26 mm-hmm. um you know, we obviously got a, a net zero target um, before that. I don't think the cooldown can take entirely the the, um, <laughs> the the credit, but maybe some small part. But um, you know, what are some of the key areas of focus moving forward? You know, we've got a net zero target. You know, it's not it's not enough in my opinion. But um, what are some of the areas of focus moving forward in climate? There's there's so much work to do. You know, the scale of the challenge that we face is unprecedented, and that's why I actually think sport has a really important role to play in helping tell that story. This is not a problem that any of us want, but it's, it's here and it's something that all of us are going to have to be part of the solutions, including sport. And that includes sport dealing with their own footprint and the way that they organize tournaments and game days and and all the rest like this is going to touch every single part of our lives that's a challenge but it's also a massive opportunity for all of us so you know people who get cranky about seeing anything to do with climate change uh, in sport one climate change is affecting sport we're seeing cancellations pitches being either underwater or too hard during droughts like this is something that's affecting us now but more broadly sport is going to have to play a role we're going to have to, we're going to have to be part of this and i think importantly we can be part of the the storytelling of how we all play our part in this huge challenge that you know no one's got all the answers more broadly the you're, you're right the, the the current targets aren't enough i've been very vocal saying that we need more ambition and and there's so much that we can be doing particularly at a time where cost of living is such an issue across the country (laughs) rooftop solar is some of the cheapest electricity in the world now and that is thanks to the howard government starting rooftop solar schemes and that's been supported since with every government since then and it's working through all the all the red tape and the installation and you know backing early technology with with some subsidies and that then becomes cheaper as you deploy it we have an opportunity at a household level to start to do the same thing with you know heat pumps induction cook stoves batteries electric vehicles there's huge savings for households that can also mean that households are part of this transition you can go from feeling like this this is just too big this problem is too big to saying well i can actually do something i can ensure that you know the next water heater i get is a, is a heat pump and that when i can afford it I, I i get off gas and i start using electric and there's clearly a role for government in there in ensuring that no one's left behind and that low-income households and renters can can also be part of that and then another big part of that is access to 
a bigger variety of, of cheaper EVs. You know, currently, Australia and Russia are the two only the only two OECD countries that don't have fuel efficiency standards. In Europe, there's 20 electric vehicles under 40,000 Australian dollars. In Australia, there's zero. So there's all this policy stuff that can one help us tackle um, climate, reduce our emissions, but two can unlock savings, genuine savings for Australians across the country. So I think we're at a really exciting point and the more people we have uh, taking interest saying, well, I want to be part of this solution, uh, yeah, the better. I think personally it gives, it gives you a, a real sense of agency and, and some, some purpose and focus in, in being part of things. Um, because you know, we we know a lot of young people are looking at the future and thinking, well, doesn't doesn't look gr- too great for me. <laughs> and um, I'd really encourage people to to get involved and to to really push for the kind of changes and future that we we, we know we can have. You obviously uh, have read Saul Griffith's book, and I know you've actually spent a lot of time working closely with Saul. Um, I think he's going to be a guest maybe for for season two of The Cool Down. Um, and for, for those that aren't familiar with Saul, he's just one of the, the best and brightest minds that we have in our country who is working on solutions to climate change that really focus on electrifying everything. And uh, yeah, he, he gives a really hopeful view of an abundant future um, for Australia and, and for other nations if we, if we pursue... Um, um, you know, renewable um, electricity at, at enormous scale. Um, so, I mean, that's something that gives me lots of hope. But Dave, what gives you hope in, in the climate movement? We, we've never known more about the problem that we face, which is daunting. You read the latest IPCC sort of synthesis report, they call it, where they've brought together all the latest climate science and projections and it's bleak like we've we've got to get going but we've also never had so many solutions that are good to go the thing we need now is the the political will and i guess i find that really exciting being able to be in there not having to tow a party line just represent the a community that i love and genuinely trying to find solutions to all these problems we face and I just think we live in such an incredible country. Like we are like truly blessed to, to live here from the incredible landscapes to the diversity of species. You know, we're one of a handful of mega diverse countries. And I think with that comes such a great opportunity to be part of turning things around and better looking after the places that we live, which will allow us to look after the, the people that we we love. So I find that really energizing. And there's, there's so many people working on solutions, dedicating their lives to sparking imagination and showing people what it, what our future could, could be like. And you know, I think that's a really important part of this. And you know, you mentioned Saul, he's, he's got a big brain and, and he's, he's, really inspirational in, in the way that he's pushing for really pragmatic changes that will make people's lives better. And we ask this every time and uh, you're probably best suited to, to doing it than, than most uh, given your background in rugby. But uh, if there's one thing, how can we tackle climate change? <laughs> um, 
I mean, if it's a, <laughs> if it's a, I don't know whether I'll avoid any sporting metaphors. <laughs> um, yeah, I've laid it on thick there already. Um, yeah. I mean, one one of my one of my favorite coaches, someone who I just loved um, being coached by, and, and he, he taught me so much about you know, rugby and, and leadership and being part of a team. And that was Robbie Deans, and uh, um, you know, he, he often had a bunch of sort of stories that he would tell, and, and one of them basically was when if you find yourself in a hole stop digging and i think it's it's pretty apt for where we are at, at the moment we know that we can have a great future if if we make the changes necessary but we're seeing here in australia uh, we're wanting to tackle climate change and and start to electrify and decarbonize but we also want to keep being one of the biggest fossil fuel exporters in the world and we're going to have to choose it's a really hard um, decision given how entrenched um, fossil fuels are in, in 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 terms of the way governments have benefited from them and looked after them for for so long but it's it's a choice that we need to make we've got more than enough coal and gas to see us through the transition so really that is i think the one of the biggest challenges we face is to to head in a different direction and look for ways to diversify our economy and there's some really exciting things like it, it all sounds like doom and gloom but when you look at things like green steel and and green um, aluminium green hydrogen like these are industries of the future what we can really start to to lean into and and develop here in australia so i'd say that's yeah high level that's a that's a big thing absolutely dave you've been an absolute trailblazer for the sport and climate space and you know footy for climate and the cool down wouldn't be here without you thank you so much for joining me on the cool down today thanks tom and thanks so much for all the work you guys are doing with with footy for climate thanks I'm your host, Tom Campbell, and thanks for listening to The Cooldown, a footy for climate podcast. The Cooldown is produced by Sam Dalton, and audio is edited by Darcy Parkinson from Producey. Episode research is done by me, Jasper Pittard, and Aloise Witkowski.